Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Breaking Down the Doors. Joe Rex showed Adam Sparks here in the Tennessean studio in the wake, the aftermath of Tennessee's 88-83 overtime win over Vanderbilt. We're, we're just going to dig in on that today. There's so much to talk about. Adam, and basketball stuff, controversy stuff. I'm going to leave it to you. Where 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 do you want to start with this? Thing? Well, this is the spicy edition of this, the podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, I mean, there's there's a few few controversial type things that came out of that game. The the hook and hold, which I'm gonna I'm gonna make you explain on this podcast. <laughs> I'll try the, the supposed Bryce Drew blow by in the handshake line with Grant Williams. Well, let, let's start there because you and I literally two minutes before we went on air on this podcast, looked at the video. of uh, so, so for people that don't know, obviously Vandy lost 88-83 overtime to Tennessee. There was a controversial flagrant foul called in Cleavon Brown, a, probably a flop to some extent by Grant Williams that turned the game there and sent it into overtime. And, and right in the handshake line, Bryce Drew and Rick Barnes, two guys that really were really big fans of each other, um, had a – handshake talk little half hug and then grant williams came up to be the first one to say something to bryce drew came up in a very generous way i thought but bryce either blew by him completely or the way that i see the video i think bryce kind of gives him a little tap and walks on i i I think i i think he i think bryce was not in the mood this is just me speculating i don't think bryce was in the mood to hug it out with grant williams because of that play Although in the moment he just said a few private things to Rick Barnes, I think that's where his mind was at, and I don't think he said, "Ah, oh, here comes Grant Williams. I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna look at this guy in the eye." I don't think that was it. But you're you're hearing around, you know, both fan bases, media elsewhere, that this was an absolute blow by. Yeah, I, this is uh, great rivalry, petty stuff here uh, for me. I mean, I, and I, I understand. I guess it kind of looks bad because Grant was waiting there and Grant wanted to maybe say something to him and it was a quick, but I, I, I first of all, I don't think Bryce Drew's capable. Honestly, yeah. I don't think he's capable of like quote unquote being a jerk like that on purpose. I really think it was just sort of absent minded. Okay. Uh, you may be right. Maybe he was just so ticked off about the circumstances around Grant Williams or ticked off that Grant Williams went for 43 on his team. Sure. You know, that he just like really didn't want to talk to him. I just think it was, he's talking to Barnes. They had a nice moment and then it's like, okay, here's this guy. And I, I, I just, I think it's just way, way overblown. Man. Well, th- this is the, this is the UT Memphis effect, by the way. This is the ultra breakdown of let's let's break down the post game handshake. Let's break down every comment about what somebody thought they said. Were fists balled or not? That's right. That's yes. right. That's what I see in this. I see this is let's let's take that narrative and see if we can place it. I mean, you know, it, it is again because just the way the cam. I mean, it's the way it's set up. The camera shows Grant Williams wanting to you know, shake hands with Bryce Drew and maybe say a nice word. And it was it was a blow by. I, I, I just, I don't know, I guess it's worth, you know, asking Bryce about it and seeing what he says. And I, I'm sure it'll be like, yeah, I wasn't, there was nothing intentional there. I'd, I'd be interested to see hear what Grant Williams has to say about well, it. I'm I'm imagining both sides downplaying it as they should. I just I just don't think this is much. Well, I'm 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 kind of chuckling a little bit at the evolution of the post game handshake uh, and 
in in tough losses. But, but well, a, a win against Tennessee a few years ago, and Kevin Stallings was coach, and a loss to Tennessee. Now, this one was did or did Bryce Drew blow by a handshake, or did he only tap him from back a few years ago after beating Tennessee? Kevin Stallings was I'm going to f and kill you. That was his oh, line right. to Wade yeah. Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the difference between those two, did, did Bryce Drew avoid eye contact with Grant Williams versus Kevin Stallings told his player he was going to kill him with the same, I mean, it's, it's both ESPN telecast in that same vantage point, by the way. It's, Do we know for sure that Bryce Drew didn't whisper under his breath that he's going to kill Grant Williams? I don't have, know for sure have. he didn't. I, I, I don't think the adjective went with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, there's no effing with no, that. Fuck. By the way, uh, speaking of which, one of the best headlines I've ever seen this week, Adam. Uh, yeah. Did you see the New Orleans Times? I, I did, I did. Reffing, unbelievable. And then in the subhead, you know, they called it a tainted Super Bowl. But that actually brings us to this is bad ref week. Let me just say up front, Pat Adams is a bad basketball official. He is bad. I've seen enough of him now in three seasons. I think he's one of the worst high major college basketball officials you, working today. So you, I just want to put that out there. You are such a hoops guy that you're one of these that keeps up with the names and faces well, of the refs. Where they when could, people are extraordinary, you have to notice them. They Adam. could be my next-door neighbor, and I wouldn't I wouldn't know <laughs> that. But I know fans and media that, that know that. So go ahead. Well, I, so I, I want to start with that. I hated how this game was called. I found myself hating a lot of calls. I, I thought for the most part, I think both teams – were subject to bad calls and beneficiaries of bad calls. And then, of course, there's the one call that everyone's talking about. I, As of this recording, I'm hoping to get some kind of clarification or light shed on this by the SEC. I would like to hear from the SEC on this, even though I know it was reviewed by Pat Adams and crew. The hook and hold, for anybody who has watched college basketball a lot this year, I mean, it's a big thing this year. It's been controversial. There have been a lot of ticky-tack calls like this. It's an auto-flagrant one if it's determined that there's a hook and hold. My issue with this call, which was, look, it's game-changing because it gives Grant Williams two free throws, and then they get the ball. He scores immediately. All of a sudden, a six-point game is a two-point game. It's somewhat like the South Carolina game for Vanderbilt when Saban Lee talks some trash, gets a technical, it's a, all of a sudden it's a five-point possession. Maybe Tennessee comes back anyway in the last 82 seconds. Uh, they needed one extra stop than they got. You know, maybe they do, but this was a huge play, and I'm sorry. Here's another thing. I'm just I'm, I'm talking too much. I'm sorry, but a, a lot of things I'm seeing are Grant Williams flopped in the play, which is true. That doesn't matter, though. Grant Williams flopping or selling it is not why they called a flagrant one. So I think people, I think people are getting that confused. The hook and hold is to prevent the injury, though. Yeah, right? I mean a lot of it goes back to the Isaac Haas injury last year, the NCAA tournament for Purdue. If anybody remembers, it was a gruesome injury. I think that was a big part of this. I mean, it can be very dangerous if you're if you're and, and you you've seen it for bas- in basketball for decades. But people, you know, you grab that arm and then someone jumps out of that and you can rip something out of the socket i mean it can be it's good that they're trying to clean it up i think sometimes it's been ticky tack i think in this case i think they just saw it wrong because there there was not the hook was not there when grant williams jumped cleavon browns from my view cleavon brown's arm was on his chest they were not entangled and yeah grant williams sold it but again that's not the point okay the point is was there a hook by cleavon brown 
and a hold that 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 impacted you know Grant Williams as he jumped. I'm saying no. Seth Davis from the Athletic is on Twitter saying absolutely 100. percent This is the rule. This is the right call. You know, it's money in the bank. So well, for, different interpretations. Well, first off, it's an abused rule because uh, I, you're the hoops guy, more of the football guy. The you know when Tom Brady gets slapped barely on the side of his ear, and that's suddenly a you know that's a that's a personal foul that doesn't make sense when you're looking at it. The rule makes sense to some extent, but the execution of it doesn't. So I understand the rule, but. The flop, yes, that's not part of the hook and hold. I do think the flop had a place in the whistle being blown. Yeah, that, that may be. That because may be. it's the the human nature, the, the, the human eye seeing that is, I think I may have seen a hook and hold. Maybe there was some kind of foul there. Well, look, he just went hard on the ground. So whistle being blown, and then you have to – at some point I thought maybe they could – they could just say that's just a foul. On well, the, and, on and review. I'm, even though Grant Williams sold it, and he did, it may have been a foul. No, I, I'm fine with it being a foul. Cleveland Brown pushed him a bit. You know, it's fine. I, I think I'm fine with that being a common foul. Again, I'm just saying that like the hook wasn't there. The hook was maybe there for a moment when they were grappling with each other. But by the time Grant Williams jumped, they were detached, and so that to me invalidates this as a hook and hold they sat there and looked at the replay they still called a flagrant one and i think there's a lot of sensitivity again i think you brought up a great comparison you know the the roughing the passer yeah which there is just there's still subjectivity here there's it's just there just is and there are some of those calls have been quote unquote letter of the law correct you know you think about like uh clay matthews a couple of calls he got on him this year where he you know his body weight sort of gently fell on the quarterback and that was enough right i this is where i want to talk to the sec because maybe i'm wrong maybe any entanglement at any point before within a play can still count i don't think so though and that's, not my, that's an, not my understanding but there was an entanglement there was no point at where you saw the body language of those two guys say we're connected. Well, I th- well, maybe I'll have to look at it for the 149th time. But I thought early they, their arms were – and again, you can always say, well, who was hooking who? But either way, that's going to be – To me, I saw you have to You have to, as as Cleavon Brown there, you have to work to untangle. I mean, yeah, that's really what to, they're To telling. me, I saw something that happens on every box out, on every rebound. I saw a, a, a little bit of jostling, maybe – Maybe they were connected for a split second. I, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I mean, if you again this year, there have been tons of calls that have been somewhat like this, in which you're like, "What? How is that a flagrant?" But just because the arms were locked in there, they called it, and they're trying to, you know, condition all these guys to you have got to not let the arms get locked. So again, I I get that. To me, it happened here, and so it should. And again, the flop. You're right. Maybe the whistle doesn't even happen without it, but that's still separate from what they're saying. They're saying hook and hold. Now, now the question of did Vandy lose that game because of that call? Tennessee was given a chance to win the game because of that call. And they again, they still may have gotten an. And Vandy had a stops. chance to still win that game in spite of that call. No both, question. Both, both things can be true at the same time. And Tennessee, a veteran team, was given a little bit of glimmer of hope and they jumped on it and they made something like 90 percent of their foul shots grant williams is 23 of 23 from the line which was, i've never seen anything like that. yeah that's inconceivable and vandy still was up to 
Van, uh, Saban Lee went to the line for four shots in in the last 41 seconds, only made two of them. Yep. You make all four of those, you probably win. Vandy had a chance at the end where there was a couple of quick blocks and a turnover, and they could have set up a – by the way, did Vandy have a timeout there at the end? I'm not real sure. I, I One way sure. or another, though, they had about four, five, six seconds where they could have made a good pass, made a couple dribbles, and taken a shot for the win in regulation and instead just panicked and just started throwing the ball around. So there were and, – and, and Matt Ryan's shot with, what is seven, eight seconds, the last shot, he didn't have to take that. I mean, he could have – you could have passed out of that and had somebody, maybe a lesser three-point shooter, but you could have got a better shot than that. So there were four or five errors that Vanderbilt made that where they still could have won the game, but the reason that they were put in that situation was because of a bad call. Both things are true, and, and give Tennessee some credit for when you got that little bit of hope that they that they pounced on it. Well, yeah, and listen, I mean, Grant Williams, and I, I know – Vanderbilt fans are looking at the you know twenty three free throws and what their whole team got and all that stuff, but look that was how the game was called and Grant Williams is the guy on either team best equipped to take advantage of that and he did so there were a couple charge blocks with him that were probably close I I thought they were the right calls I thought either it was block or no call a couple of them late that he got the benefit of the call maybe he got some star treatment i mean i think that does happen sometimes the idea that like this is like the league trying to you know the number one team needs a win i mean come on you know that's just now we're getting into ridiculous conspiracy theory territory there were some look there was there was definitely a double dribble on chateau that i don't know how they missed that i thought the out of bounds call they gave to vanderbilt i don't understand how they gave them that call i mean there were but the, the, Grant Williams, this is how the game was called, and he was just—he was an unbelievable. You have, you have to give him a lot of credit. The star, he carried his team. The 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 side the side note to the the so called star treatment, by the way, is interesting because in a one and done atmosphere that we're in now, you don't think of the one and dones as getting star treatment. Tennessee has players that have been there for a long time. Grant Williams is the reigning SEC Player of the Year probably will could be will be probably two-time player of the year maybe three-time player of the year so on a team with a lot of veterans there's a little more familiarity with stars so you gotta earn your bad calls in your face in the nba you can get star treatment because guys are there for 15 years you don't have that in college basketball but grant williams does so let's let's move this forward to okay vanderbilt lost it was the best vandy has played all year pre-darius garland with Darius Garland, post Darius Garland, that's the best that they played. Yep. So you you look at can you bottle that, and if they play that way, they can beat anybody else on their schedule. Now they won't, but they can if you play that way. The offense was different. They had a lot of different things using the post to facilitate passing the elbow series, as uh, as Rick Barnes called it. There were different things where I thought Saban Lee was made more comfortable, being to kind of clear out and let him create more than. More than what they were doing before, they were a little. They were better in half court. They didn't run as much, but they ran strategically. The the the, the shooters made shots, which is a you yeah. know a big difference. Well, that's a huge part of it. No yeah, question. But there were differences in there. They started three bigs. You could go on down the list. They're starting to de-emphasize Joe Toy a little bit, the senior, I think, to go with more younger lineup and a bigger lineup. So there are a lot of things that they did differently in this game and you said okay they can do those different things in some games and move forward play that way make shots and they can win some games 
Now, will they do that or not is hard to say. Bryce Drew, when asked after the game, did you see, does this, is this a new starting point for you? And the way he put it was a lot of our guys um, hit their kind of reached basketball manhood, so to speak. Here's how he put it after the game. Well, as a coach, I see our youth every day, every day in practice. I see it. You know, you see it in games. I, I thought some of our guys grew up tonight. You know, I thought some of our, our guys, you know, mistakes that they had made earlier in the year, it didn't phase them. It didn't phase their body language tonight. And, again, we've been working not just on the X and O's. We've been working on, you know, the manhood and the attitude. And, 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 and that's probably one of my, my biggest fulfillments tonight is we saw guys overcome some adversity and still stay the course and play well. And, uh, and that's what we're striving for. So that that's that's Bryce. Any coach is going to be optimistic and say it that way. But you know, I, I asked Rick Barnes after the game, and I think Rick Barnes is very genuine. I don't think he's he's not really known for just spinning narratives. He's sincere about things, and I asked him about you know, do you see pieces on this team that make you think that Vanderbilt is going to win in time? Because they're zero and six in the SEC, worst start they've ever had in program history in SEC play. Some people are skeptical that this thing is ever going to turn around. And can they turn it around? And you know, you know I mean, the, the best way is for Rick Barnes to say it. And here's how he here's how he answered my question about that after the game. Well, I think what Bryce is doing is really where you have to remember we were there four years ago, and I think Bryce, one, he's he's a super human being, and he he's going to build a program. And right now, he's in a situation where he still is building his culture, and there's no doubt he. Again, this is me because I went through it. I'm sure he's looking for that leadership. And where is he going to get it? That's where – and sometimes it takes time for guys to grow into it. And it end up might being a freshman, a sophomore. And if I looked at the group, I mean, I love what tonight – I look at what uh, Nate Smith did and, and uh, Saban Lee. I, I mean, those guys laid it out there. And uh, walked through the line. And I saw how emotionally upset uh, Aaron Nate Smith was. That's the start. I'm telling you, because you know you got somebody that lays it out there, and they're willing to put that kind of emotion into it. That's that's where leaders began, and then it gets down to freshmen saying, "Can I really do this? Should I really do this?" And at some point, it will click, and that's what. It, and it took us honestly two years to get to that point, and uh, and it happened with the guys that you see that are leading us now. So obviously, the point that he's making there is, you know, Rick Barnes came in. This is his fourth year. This is Bryce's third. The first two years, Rick Barnes was a sub-500 coach overall at UT and was not very good in SEC play. Year three, they win the SEC title with older players. Year four, they're number one in the country with the same older players, and they're, they're a junior-senior team. Bryce Drew is a freshman-sophomore team right now there, and the case that Rick Barnes is making is give it a couple of years. That sounds like a long time for Vandy fans, but do we buy that – you put another year on this team or two years, depending on who's still here, that this can take on the path that Tennessee has gone and they can win with older players? Well, I mean, I think there's some great building blocks. You know, the thing is, there still are some older players on this team who are really important. I mean, mean, Matt Ryan, to me, showed his importance in the Tennessee game. Sure. His aggression in the first half, I thought he helped turn the game, hitting a big three, then getting fouled on three. I mean, and that late baseline jumper he hit. You know, he, you know, he's a junior, right? Yeah. You know, I do – like, this was not a great game for Yanni Wetzel, but I still really like his upside. Cleavon Brown 
this should be a big moment for him. So, I mean, I think if some of those guys come along, yes, like you mentioned, Toy being de-emphasized, but Toy had a couple huge shots in the second half when Vanderbilt kind of took this game over. I still think he's important for this year. I'm not really answering your question. Look, I love the building blocks of Saban Lee and Aaron Neesmith. Aaron Neesmith is already becoming a star. He was just fantastic in this game. And Saban Lee, aside from Darius Garland, which we'll mention a little bit later, Saban Lee is a four-year player. He will be a four-year player. He's got two left. Yep. Aaron Neesmith will at least be a three-year player. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I would – you know, I, I never – I don't – I. I've learned because I've covered a lot of guys who I thought the same thing, and then it's like, oh, actually, no, they're going because yeah. they love him now. I mean, I could see the NBA loving him a year from now. I just the question with Neesmith is, you know, is he quite athletic enough? Does he have quite the skill enough? But look, if he keeps working and getting better, I, I think they might like him sooner rather than later. So I don't know. Maybe he's a two-year guy. I agree on Saban Lee. You know, and Saban Lee. I mean, to me, look, losing Darius Garland. Uh, which, of course, became official this week, of course, is hurting this team. But you were long-term probably handing the keys to Saban Lee, right? Yes. I think that's – I mean, I think a big part of what your question is, the answer is what does Saban Lee become? Because, look, he can get by anybody. He can get where he wants to go. And in this game, he had a couple huge shots as well. He got switches on ball screens. And he hit those shots. That's he's got to improve that aspect of his game. There's no question. He's got to hit free throws, of course. But if he can actually kind of do what Jordan Bone has done for Tennessee, Jordan Bone to me was always a guy with a lot of athleticism, skill, but not a natural point guard. Well, he's figured it out, and that's what saving. And a lot of that is just it's film, 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 and it's just doing it. If he keeps coming and becomes a lethal point guard, then. I think, yeah, maybe we are talking about a team that as it matures, and that's still, but there's still, you know, recruiting goes into that. What exactly does a roster look like? I think with Tennessee, the, the unique thing is that you've had a lot of these guys who have grown up all together, same class or class apart, and they just have such a great chemistry and cohesion. And it's just not, it just doesn't happen easily. It You can't count on it. And you certainly can't count usually on, bunch of recruits that are 100 plus 200 plus recruits becoming a team like this but you know Bryce Drew is recruiting at a higher level than that too yeah and and I think I think the point you make on Saban makes a lot of sense because Neesmith I think is going to be really good Simi Chateau I I think will come back for a second year that'll be interesting yeah I think he should based on well I, I shouldn't say should I'm leaning more that way too, based on I would the, the flaws I see in his game. Yeah, yeah. I, but in this game, early on, it was like, "What are you doing? You're trying to go one on one. You're taking these wild shots." Then they started using him effectively as a face up guy and inside. And you're like, "Okay, now Tennessee's having a real problem yeah. with this guy." So if we say Shatu is a two year guy, Neesmith's maybe a three year guy, Saban Lee is a four year guy then you're seeing a whole lot different team on down the line. And I don't mean on down the line as two years later. I mean next season. The the, the Saban Lee point is a big one because if you put all those pieces together and you take the recruiting class that they that's coming in, or another real good class, um, you can say this could be a really good team if they can figure out point guard. Because with Garland gone, you know, Austin Crowley, who is a two-guard that's coming as a four-star two-guard, 6'6 kid, there's been thoughts that maybe he could develop a little bit of point guard skills and be an option there. 
but that's not going to happen immediately, and it's still a maybe. I mean, he's, he's, he's a two-guard. Scotty Pippen Jr. is going to be a point guard. He's played both positions in, in, in high school, but he's going to be a point guard, but you can't expect a high three-star kid to come in and start immediately. So if Saban Lee plays like he did against Tennessee and they can find ways to use him and make him comfortable as a point guard, then that's that's fixed. And if that's fixed, then you've got Neesmith at, 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 at the wing who's going to be a really good player, already is a good player. You, you maybe have Chateau for another year. You have what I think that is developing into some good role players there. And uh, Dylan DeSue, a four-star big guy, really athletic, kind of a poor man's semi-Chateau, I would say. Um, Austin Crowley that I mentioned, uh, Pippen. And then you've got another probably four or five, maybe even five-star that they're going to sign. That there's tr- They're trying to get one more. You've, you're going to have a ton of talent next year and a year older. The thing is, you can't go 0-18 in the SEC and suddenly you know, turn it into something next year. They have to put something together these, this last month and a half. Well, I mean, since the last time we've talked, we've seen the absolute worst and best of this team. And after watching them against Mississippi State, I thought, well, this team might be done. You yeah. Know? I wrote it. I mean, I, I, I thought the body language, the effort in the second half against Mississippi State was dreadful. And... You know that again. You have to all that stuff. It goes to Bryce Drew. I mean, you got to keep that stuff together. You got to respond. And I remember early in that Tennessee game, it's fifteen two. They call a timeout. He's kind of got the gentle. Eh, everything's okay. And I'm like, no, man, it's not okay. Like, you are in deep trouble. Did he here. not show you something? Though, Absolutely. In the that's w- within that game, but also the preparation for that game. Yes. I mean, look, that's the thing. I think this was a big moment for Bryce Drew because. Look, fans get restless, and I don't blame Vanderbilt fans for getting restless based on you know the disappointment, some of which, of course, is nobody's fault. But still, we know this team has talent. Anybody who watched that game last night, this wasn't just smoke and mirrors, memorial magic, you know, trying to figure it out just a weird night. I mean, this was a lot of talented basketball players who gave, you know, pushed the number one team in the country and should have beat them. So that's where the frustration is. I think justifiably has 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 been, but yes, I think Bryce Drew had a great night. I mean, I think his plan was fantastic. Rick Barnes said as much after the game. I mean, Bryce, I I, I kind of liked his analogy too. The uh, drop back passing team, kind of switching to the wishbone, a lot more, you know, cutting around, like, sort of like backdooring and cutting off the elbow, and again going inside. I mean, you've got to use what you have. They have a really strange collection of pieces you know which made with pieces that made more sense with an elite point guard yes yeah but you know and i just i really i thought it was and he kept them together he came up with a good plan he had him in position to win a huge game would have been absolutely the biggest win of his career and so i mean it was a good night for him from that perspective now we see and it's too bad adam this team first of all we talked about this after the game like like they don't get like texas a&m at home after this game to build on it and get a win and get the confidence instead they have to go to oklahoma really good team on the road in the sec big 12 event and then they come back for kentucky um you know so they easily they could play well here and keep taking l's and then you again are asking like how much can you take uh, if they can get a win in one or both these games, then I I look differently at the at the rest of the schedule. Let's wrap this up with a Darius Garland topic, a little side topic, and we've talked about this uh, with the football guys whether or not they should go pro early. Um, and I 
I, I saw some social media and some. Uh, can I sent you getting on your soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I just I just pulled it out. I'm stepping up on it. I, I got this. Um, it's it, it's usually gray headed fans. I hate to I hate to to generalize it in that way, but stereotype in that way. But gray headed, white headed fans. The okay. blue hairs. That's right. That's hair. right. Uh, that the when Darius Garland uh, said I'm, he's entering the nba draft as a one and done i got the you know traitor not loyal uh, one guy on social media said he can go right in the nba he'll be playing overseas in three years these sort of things um the the, the strangest ones i got were you know back in our day guys played four years and you know clyde lee and jeff turner and all you know and these guys they would have never left early. Well, you know, and not Jeff Turner. He's in the 80s. But if if guys made this kind of money, and Darius Garland, his rookie contract would be 5 to $15 million, somewhere in there, guaranteed, that uh, for a lottery pick owned about the 20th pick, he'll be somewhere in there. If guys in 1964 or whatever were offered $15 million, to go, they would have gone. They would now. I'm just staying to sing the alma That's mater. Right. That's I, right. you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's the comparison, especially from that era. It's Come so on. dumb, and Come so on. you get you know it. And I and I don't know what what age people listen to this podcast, but I see that so much from this fan base. But if it's, you're old, Adam doesn't like you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and and it is a minority because m- most of what I hear is I get it. I wish he hadn't left, but but I get it. But I just I don't understand understand how there's a certain segment of the fan base that can't understand the economics of this the the one that got me so frustrated was um i had a fan say again on social media i have a hunch this is all about the money yeah wow sherlock it is it's uh, yes it is of course it's all about the money it's it's a guy that's getting a college stopping to do laundry and get a cheeseburger at Burger King versus here's $15 million. Life-changing money. Right. Your great-grandkids now have their tuition paid for type of money. It's not a greedy thing. By the way, Darius Garland. Why do you go to college? Right. Why do people go to college? And, and you know, so, I don't, just to like entertain others. And I don't know Darius Garland's family. Well, I've said hi to his mom and dad, you know, four or five times, but it, it's, He's not a, you know, inner city kid, and I'm putting up quotes for that, uh, with the single parent making ends. No, he doesn't, he doesn't have like a pressing urgency. His to dad go played a decade. Financially his dad played a decade in the NBA. He's fine. His dream is to play in the NBA, and his dream has been presented. You can have your dream now, and here, by the way, here's life changing money, generational type money to go along with it. Of course, the, as I tweeted the other day, why are you surprised that he's leaving? When he came in, he was pronounced as a one-and-done player. He's been here for one. Now he's done. That's how that works. Uh, but the, the people of the shock of, oh, I thought he'd come back because college basketball. I mean, why would a guy – didn't the guy want to go play in Bridgestone Arena at the SEC tournament? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he wants to play in the NBA. That's what most kids want to do. Guys want to go be Steph Curry – they don't want to be J.J. Redick. You know yeah, what I well, mean? Yeah, well, no, not. Look. Oh, uh, here we go. Well, no, all, all I'm going to say is that you know you still have guys who want to have the college experience for the year. Sure. You know? I mean, 
I mean, look, lot, there are a lot of these guys could just go work out and then end, end of the draft the next year. But hey, it's it's fun to go to Cameron Indoor or, yeah. or whatever. And Darius Garland was genuinely excited about this year and wanted to do it. And you know, but now, I mean, the, the 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 smart move is exactly what he's doing. But I will say too, I don't. I mean, I get frustrated by that stuff too. And this is where I struggle a lot. I still think if if I gave a percentage of Vanderbilt fans who thought what you're talking about, I bet you it's like 1%. No. No? No. Oh, I think see, I think social media skews I, reality. I, th- I, I really think do. it does too, but no, I think it's uh I think it's t- 10 to no. 20%. No way. Yeah, I, p- people in person to, if if people in person tell you that then, then it's it's a it's a decent amount. Social media, yes, but we're not we're not talking about social media. I'll give the, you three of, of the twenty two year old idiot that does has an experienced life. I'm talking about people. <laughs> oh, that, now you hate young people. That's right. That's Who right. do you like? Adam? Only thirty nine year old. You know, no. yeah, exactly. The, the, the thirty nine to forty four. That's right. Demo, but it's uh no, it's a it's a it's a decent size. It's not a majority any anywhere close to that, but it's a decent size group of people that don't understand and this this I have more Kentucky. faith in humanity than you I say it's three percent this most. isn't Kentucky and also the you know the one and done concept is they don't they don't really mean one and done because I feel like they're going to get to Vanderbilt and just love the economics degree so much that they're just going to stay for four years yeah. it doesn't it doesn't again but that most people listening don't feel that way and I hear you too and so Adam I, likes you no matter what your age that's is. right I just needed I just needed to get get done with that um, yeah so but Darius Garland is gone. Wish him well. He'll be a first-round pick, whether that's a lottery pick or late-round pick or whatever. And the guys left over need to win, and I think we both agree there's enough talent there to win. Yep. So we're going to see. It's going to be a really interesting couple games here. Uh, and it's fun to see Adam get a little bit frustrated with something. Very, very even keel normally. So I'm usually the hothead who, you know, it's flies off the handle and... You know, swears and stuff like that. It's rare. You, usually, not on my, this podcast. My, as my grandmother would put it, uh, every once in a while, you just have to say "flitterfoot." <laughs> on that note, Bryce thanks. Drew and I do not have the same grandmother. I don't think, but maybe. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening to Breaking Down the Doors. We'll be back next week.